Hi, I'm AJ. Um, if, like me, your Bible doesn't naturally fall open at Nehemiah because you've um, been reading it so often, um, please turn to page 412. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy? And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the Jackal Well and the Dung Gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the Fountain Gate and the King's Pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, 6 p.m., how's it going? Good to see you. My name is Andrew, if I haven't met you before, and I have the absolute...
joy of pastoring this service and being one of the assistant pastors at Church by the Bridge and St. Augustine's. Great to see you here at church, particularly if it's your first time. Welcome. Let's pray, and then we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 2 and 3. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your glory. We pray that you would fix our eyes on what you've done for us and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a few years ago, President Trump was inaugurated. And on his inauguration day, the sermon that was preached begun like this. When I think of you, President-elect Trump, I'm reminded of another great leader God chose thousands of years ago in Israel. The nation had been in bondage for decades. The infrastructure of the country was in shambles. And God raised up a powerful leader to restore the nation. And the man God chose was neither a politician nor a priest. Instead, God chose a builder whose name was Nehemiah. And the first step of rebuilding the nation was the building of a great wall. You see, God is not against building walls. <laughs> I wonder what you think about that sermon introduction. Put aside what you think about Trump and politics. This book of Nehemiah isn't just a book about building, building walls. Is it just a book about construction? Is it just a book about how to be a great leader like Trump? Or is there something deeper going on? What we're going to see is this is actually a story about God. God and his promises to his people. If you were here last week, you'll remember we met Nehemiah. Nehemiah is in Persia, and he's in a palace, and he's got the greatest job in the world. He drinks wine and tastes it all day. He's there, he's the king's cupbearer, but Persia isn't his home. Nehemiah is hundreds of kilometers away from his home, which is in Jerusalem. Nehemiah's a Jew. And God's people, the Jews, had been kicked out of Jerusalem, put into exile because of their sin. But God didn't forget his people. He promised to send them back to Jerusalem. He promised to send them back to their home so they could rebuild from the ashes. And sure enough, a few years before Nehemiah, some people had gone back to Jerusalem. They had started to rebuild the destroyed city. But after a while, it stopped and the construction work ceased. And last week we saw Nehemiah hears this news that his home, Jerusalem, was still in ruins. The walls still smashed to the ground. And how does Nehemiah respond? Well, what we learn about Nehemiah's response is, is not how to be a great leader not how to be a great builder. Nehemiah's response teaches us four things. Four things. Number one, Nehemiah is a man of prayer. He's a man of prayer. Look down in your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. So we learn, it is the month of Nisan, 20th year of King Artaxerxes. Now, maybe you're thinking, what the heck is that? What, what's the month of Nisan? It's got nothing to do with the car company, okay? Here's what you need to know. It's been four months since chapter one. Four months since Nehemiah heard this news that Jerusalem was still in ruins. 
And you know what he's doing, been doing for four months? Praying. Four months of praying. Four months of fasting. I, um, I'm an impatient person. I mentioned this a few months ago. Uh, I, you know, if I find a problem, I just want it to get fixed straight away. I don't want to wait. I'm impatient. Nehemiah's there. He hears this problem about his hometown. It's, in de- it's destroyed. It's in ruins. If I was him, I'd just want to fix the problem straight away. But Nehemiah, he's got his priorities right. He spends four months praying. Four months depending on God. Last week we saw he does an extended prayer. That's sometimes a great way to pray. Setting aside time to pray to God for an extended period. He confesses his sins. He reminds God of his promises. I wonder if you, do you pray like that? If you don't pray like that at the moment, uh, schedule aside some time. It's a great thing to do. Maybe don't schedule aside an hour, first off. You'd be like the people that try and hit the gym after New Year's Eve and you're only seen once. Uh, you know, schedule in five minutes, ten minutes, and, and build up. Nehemiah, he does a long prayer, but what we see also in chapter 2, is he does a shotgun prayer. He does a, a, an arrow prayer, a quick prayer. Look at, look at verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. The king says to Nehemiah, what do you want? And Nehemiah doesn't go, uh, thanks for the question, king. Can you give me like half an hour? I just want to go to my room, shut the door, get down on my knees, spend some extended time in prayer before I answer. No. He, he prays, presumably in his head, a quick one-liner, and then answers. Do you pray like that? You know, you're boarding a bus, going into a work meeting. You face something in your day which is just so overwhelming. I, I prayed a prayer like this just last week. I was talking with someone who wasn't a Christian, a friend, and an opportunity came up for me to talk about Jesus. And I just prayed quickly, God, give me the words to say. This quick one, prayers. Nehemiah does both, long prayers, short prayers. He loves to pray. I think it's sad in our world, our world is getting more and more fast-paced, and this time for prayer is being crowded out. But we can blame our world. I think the problem is our heart. We're proud. We think we can solve the problems of life on our own. We don't need God, we think. We can fix things ourselves. It's pride. But Nehemiah realizes he needs his heavenly father. He needs to pray to depend on him. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. The second thing we learn about Nehemiah is he's a man of passion. A man of passion. Let's read verse 1 to 3. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I'd not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? You know those experiences when you have a bad day at work and you just can't hide it? Nehemiah's having one of those days, he's at work, he's feeling down, and his boss notices. 
king says to him, why the long face? And Nehemiah tells him, tells him about his home, Jerusalem. Tells him about how it's destroyed. Its gates are burned down. He's passionate about his city. He's grieving over his city. Why does he care so much? Maybe you're thinking that yourself. You're thinking, it's 2019. Why should I care about a whole bunch of walls built thousands of years ago? Why does Nehemiah care? It's because this city represented so much more than just walls. Last year, Christine and I, we had the privilege of seeing Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Has anyone seen Notre Dame Cathedral before? Quite a lot of you. Wow, okay. Beautiful building. We walked around. It was fantastic. Went up to the bell towers. Just amazing. But of course, we all saw a few weeks ago the flames erupt from the roof of the building. The, The world watched in horror as that spire crashed to the ground. And the people of Paris, they lined the river, watching, weeping, praying, seeing. Why do they care? Why were they so upset? Was it just because it was a pretty building? It was. But no, it was so, so much more than that. 800 years of significance. The president of France said these words. While that building was burning, he said this on TV. Notre Dame is our history, our literature, part of our psyche, the place of all our great events, our epidemics, our wars, our liberations, the epicenter of our lives. The epicenter of our lives. And so the people of Paris, they realised, we need to rebuild from the ashes For the honour of France, this cathedral must be rebuilt and restored. That begins to give you a picture in how Nehemiah felt about his city. It's so much more than walls. This was God's city. This was the place God dwelt in the temple. Back then, God identified with the nation state. He doesn't today. He did back then. The walls were to keep God's people safe from invasion. But by being knocked down, it was bringing disgrace on God's people. The walls were to keep God's people separate from the nations, the sinful nations around. But by being knocked down, the culture was at risk of being lost. God's name was being disgraced, dishonoured. God's people were being dishonoured. And not just that, Nehemiah knew his Bible. Nehemiah knew the scriptures. He knew God had promised that out of the people of Jerusalem, he would bring a king, a king who would save the world. And so Nehemiah's passionate about this city because he's passionate about God. He's passionate about God's people and passionate about God's name. What are you passionate about? What gets you pumped up? As Australians, we get fired up about our sports teams. We cry when they win, cry when they lose. We're, we're workaholics as a city, as a nation. You know, we complain about it. We are workaholics. We're passionate about our leisure time, our holidays, 
our kids, our investment portfolios, our hobbies? Are you passionate about God? Are you passionate about God's name, God's glory, God's renown? Are you passionate about seeing God's will be done in Sydney and beyond? Are you passionate about seeing people trust and follow Jesus? And are you grieved? Just like Nehemiah was grieved, are you grieved when you look at Sydney and the millions of people who are lost, who don't know Jesus, are you grieved? When you look at the people who living in sin, rebellion, lost, does your heart break? When you look at God's people and you see God's people living more like the world than the church, are you grieved? When you see brothers or sisters walk away from Jesus, are you grieved? Nehemiah's heart beats. He's passionate about God's glory and God's renown. Nehemiah is a man, firstly, of prayer. Secondly, Nehemiah is a man of passion. The third thing we learn about Nehemiah is he's a man of planning. Planning. I like to plan. I like to plan. In fact, people who don't have a to-do list freak me out. Okay? If you're here tonight and you don't have a to-do list, you're not writing down your stuff somewhere, you freak me out. I just I don't understand it. I don't know how you live your life. My friends make fun of me because of my list apps. I'm always raving about my favorite app. And, um, uh, you know, they make fun of my schedules and uh, how organized I like to be. Call me a freak, and that's okay. Because Nehemiah, I love it. He's, he's, four months he's been praying, but he's also been planning. He's been planning. Look down at verse 4. Let's pick up the story. The king said to me, what is it you want? And I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates? so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that it will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. The king asked Nehemiah, what do you want? And Nehemiah goes, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you what I need. I want to go back. I want to rebuild Jerusalem. And this is how long it's going to take. Plan that out. Work out the timings. And on my way there, it's going to be a bit dangerous. going to face some obstacles. Can you write me a few letters with your signature on the bottom just so I can have safe access and an easy journey? Oh, and one more thing. When I get there, I'm going to need wood to rebuild. So can you write a letter to the keeper of the forest so I can get the wood I need? He's planned it all out. He's a planner. His request is pretty courageous, isn't it? See, Nehemiah, he had a pretty great job, drinking wine all day. And he was willing to give that up, give the life and the palace up, 
to go on a dangerous journey to a dangerous city. Not just that, this king was the same king in the book of Ezra who stopped the rebuilding of the city just a few years before. Nehemiah knew he was going to ask the king to overrule his previous decision. Maybe you've asked for a favour before from your employer. You know how nerve-wracking that is. Nehemiah's request is a pretty big request. And how does the king respond? He, He gives him everything he asked for and more. He gives Nehemiah even uh, cavalry and army officers. God does this through a pagan king. If God could do such a big thing through a pagan king, think of what he could do through you. Throughout history, God has used rich, rich, wealthy people who are generous and open up big doors to grow his church. God has used rich, wealthy people who are generous and use their influence, their power, their leverage to grow his kingdom. If God could do that through a pagan king, think of what he could do through you. Yet it's really not about what the king did, is it? Because Nehemiah says, because the gracious hand of my God was on me. He realizes God's behind this. God's making it happen. It's God's purposes. God wants to rebuild his city. Well, Nehemiah arrives at Jerusalem, and what does he do? Keeps planning. He keeps planning. He, he decides, okay, time's not right. Got to make sure I do this exactly right. He goes out in the middle of the night, doesn't tell anyone, rides around on his horse, and he inspects the city. He's taking notes. He's looking at everything, looking at the destruction, and he's planning, planning, planning. What are the big things you plan to do in your life? Imagine if we planned, like Nehemiah, to do courageous things for God, big things for his glory, for his praise, for his renown. Nehemiah is a man of planning. He's a man of prayer, passion, planning. And lastly, Nehemiah is a man of progress. A man of progress. This week is the election. I'm sure you all know that. You're probably all sick of seeing the ads on TV. And we've been hearing basically some of our leaders cast visions, haven't we? We've been casting visions about what they're going to build. They're going to build build schools, build roads, uh, build, build stations, infrastructure. And you kind of hear them make these election pitches and you think, are they really going to do it? Are these just empty promises? Well, Nehemiah, he gets his moment to cast a vision as a leader. He gets his moment and you know what he does? He doesn't do an election pitch all about what he's going to do. He does a call to action. He talks about what everyone needs to do. Look at verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. 
they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Nehemiah says, look at our city. Look at how in ruins it is. Look at the destruction. We've got to do something. Our people are being disgraced. God's name is being dishonored. And his hand is upon me. He's behind this. Let's rebuild from the ashes. And they do. They do. But I love it because they don't go, okay, we're going to rebuild. Who are we going to call? You know, lend lease. What kind of big construction company are we going to get onto this? This is a big job. Whole city. No, they all build. See, in chapter 3, we didn't have it read. You might want to flick your eyes through it. It's one of those chapters you um, might think is a little bit boring when you're reading it at first glance and may not read it. Whole list of names. But it's actually an amazing chapter. Nehemiah had delegated. He divided up the whole city wall into about 40 parts. And everyone took a different part of the wall and built. The men were building. The women were building. The ruling class were building. The working class were building. The goldsmiths are building. The perfumers are building. There's even one dad building with his daughters. Come on, girls, you know, family bonding activity. We're going to build this part of the wall. This is ours. Do we have to, Dad? Yes, we have to. This is us. This is our moment. The whole city is a beautiful picture of unity across demographics, people, gender, unity, all working together, building the city. Well, in 2019, God doesn't dwell in a city surrounded by walls. He dwells in us, the church. And you know what we want to do for building? God is building his church. He's building his church. He's building his kingdom. As more people trust in Jesus and follow him, he's growing his kingdom. As his will is done in the world, he's growing his kingdom. As the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, his kingdom is growing. As we as Christians live out our life in holiness and obedience and become more like Jesus, his kingdom is growing. He's building his church. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you. You heard that passage from 1 Corinthians 12. The church is like a body. Some of us are hands. Some of us are feet. Some of us are noses. We've all been given gifts. All been given opportunities. God wants to use us. Where has God placed you? What ills, gifts, resources... Has he given you? What doors has he opened? How can you be building God's kingdom, building God's church? He wants to use you. He wants to use you. We're united together in this. I've been so encouraged by our service, 6 p.m. Service, this service is about five months old at the most. And I'm so encouraged by how many of you have just seen the vision of being on mission here in Neutral Bay, 
sacrificed so much and come along, come on board to start this service to reach many people with the gospel. I'm so encouraged by your servant hearts, by all that you've done. Keep at it. Keep building. Keep using your gifts. And remember, though, we're just the builders. God's the construction manager. You can see that in verse 20. Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will give us success. God's the one growing his church, growing his kingdom. He uses us, but he's the one advancing his purposes. Nehemiah's an amazing man, isn't he? A man of prayer, passion, planning, progress. Imagine if we as a church, as a service, were like that. People who love to pray, passionate about God's glory. People who plan to do courageous things for God. People who built God's church, built God's kingdom, using our gifts, using our time. You know what? Nehemiah is not the hero of this story. There is a greater Nehemiah. Nehemiah points us to Jesus. You see, just like Nehemiah cared for the city of Jerusalem, so God cared for us. So much he sent Jesus. Just like Nehemiah left a palace to suffer in a broken city. So Jesus left God's right hand in glory and came and suffered amongst us. Just like Nehemiah was grieving for the brokenness of the city, so Jesus grieved so much over our sin and our rebellion that he died on a cross for us, bearing our sins on his shoulders. And just like Nehemiah built God's city, so God is building the people of God today as people trust and follow Jesus. Nehemiah, as amazing as he was, points us to Jesus, the better Nehemiah. 6 p.m., God is growing his church for his glory, for his renown. We help him build. He wants to use you. Will you build God's church together, side by side, for the glory of God, for the good of his people? Let's pray. God, you're so good. We thank you for your great love and for your mercy. Thank you that out of Jerusalem you provided a king, Jesus. Now we pray, grow your church, advance your kingdom. Lord, would you use us? Use us. Help us to depend on you in prayer. Give us a passion for your name. Give us a courageous faith. And to you, Lord, be the glory. May your name be honoured. That is our heart's desire. In Jesus' name, amen.